Good day. It's May 12th, and I hope you're ready to be encouraged as we explore the beauty and the truth of God's Word, traveling through the Bible in a year. This is the one-year Bible tour guide, and my name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and the producing director of the New Life Fine Arts Ministry. It's my joy to be reading the Bible with you out loud as we take in the remarkable vista of God's unfolding plan of redemption that is centered in the person and work of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We've discovered that God has made His will clear, yet repeatedly human beings have said, Not thy will, but mine be done. There is abundant evidence that the heart of man is deceitful and hardened by the corruptible sin of the Adamic nature, our inheritance from the fall. God originally intended that humankind enjoy 24-7 face-to-face fellowship correspondence with Himself. But sin has disrupted that fellowship. God initiates conversations. God talks, but humans balk. God makes Himself known to various people throughout history, Enoch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll remember that God renames Jacob Israel and speaks to him. Jacob says, I have seen God face to face, and my life is yet delivered. In Genesis 32, verse 30, God speaks face to face with Moses as a man speaks to his friend. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, yet the disobedience of sin deafens the ears of Israel. So God chooses to raise up prophets such as Samuel, whom we will be reading about today. They will prophesy to the kings and often rebuke them. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, we read, In verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the world. Jesus is the full and final Word of God. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We have a more sure and full word of prophecy before us in Christ, the living word, and we have before us the truth of the written word. God has chosen to make himself known to us through his word. The Bible is the clearest picture of God available to us, and God intends to use it to reveal the person of his Son, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, the one who has come to rescue us from the curse of our sin, that we might come to Him and trust Him as our Lord, our Savior, and our life. He alone is our righteousness before God. So as we set out on today's trek of spiritual discovery, let's pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Word and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We ask that You would soften our hearts, open our ears, and do a deep work in our lives as we listen with the intention of submitting to the grace that enables us to know You and walk in Your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin our reading today from the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapters 12 and 13, beginning with chapter 12, verse 1, Samuel's farewell address. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? 
Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron, and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore, stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt, and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, to deliver you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him, and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Chapter 13 Saul Fights the Philistines Saul lived for one year and then became king, and when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose three thousand men of Israel. Two thousand were with Saul in Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. 
The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel thirty thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns, and some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about six hundred men. And Saul and Jonathan his son, and the people who were present with them, stayed in Geba of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped at Michmash. And raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah, to the land of Shual. Another company turned toward Beth-Haron. And another company turned toward the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim, toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle, and the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. So on the day of the battle there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan his son had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. This concludes our reading from the Old Testament portion today from 1 Samuel chapters 12 and 13. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we just read. Samuel faithfully discharges his responsibilities as prophet, priest, and judge. He invites the Israelites to reaffirm their choice of King Saul and sets the record straight. Saul was their choice for a king. However, their covenant-keeping God is their rightful king. 
He is the one who delivered them from their bondage in Egypt and in every instance acted rightly. He proved himself faithful to his promises. He brought them into the land. Samuel now appeals to the Israelites to repent of their sin and serve the Lord. Samuel also asked the Israelites to give witness to the fact that, although his sons were greedy and dishonest in their service, he himself has consistently acted rightly as a leader without evidence of partiality, selfishness, corruption, or any attempt to manipulate or oppress anyone in chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. In contrast to this, he reminds the people of their history of forgetting the Lord and falling into the sin of idolatry. He rebukes his people for their disobedience and reminds them that because of their disobedience, God allowed them to suffer defeat at the hands of their enemies in the past. Samuel recounts the history of the period of the judges and the cycles of spiritual declension and deliverance. He includes himself in the list of judges whom God raised up to restore them to seasons of relative peacefulness, even as they dwelled amid their enemies, in chapter 12, verses 9 to 11. He reminds them that, although they have refused to have the Lord as their king and chose Saul instead, God never abdicates his throne and rules over all. Their accountability to God abides. In chapter 12, verse 15, Samuel prophetically proves their accountability for rejecting the Lord as their king by calling upon the Lord. In response, the Lord sends thunder and a rainstorm that threatens to destroy their wheat harvest. This action causes the people to admit their sin. Then all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 19. Samuel fulfills his role as a prophet, consistently reminding the people of the Lord's covenant promises and mercies. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. Samuel fulfills not only his role as a prophet, but also as a priest. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. What about us today? Are we faithful in our roles as believer priests? Do we faithfully communicate God's truth, His message of reconciliation? Do we speak the truth in love? Do we pray for those the Lord has brought into our lives? Do we instruct them in the good and the right way? Samuel did not say, Far be it from me that I should sin against you by ceasing to pray for you. He said, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. This highlights an important fact about prayer. Prayerlessness is a sin against the Lord. When we pray, we open the door for God to act. It is not that God cannot act without our prayer. He has sovereignly decreed to limit himself in some matters to what we pray for. G. Campbell Morgan puts it this way, quote, No prayer of mine can change the will of God, which is ever good and acceptable and perfect, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. But my prayer can and does make it possible for his power to operate in ways impossible without it. When I cease to pray for others, I sin against God first, because I hinder him in that I do not help him. Therefore, I grievously sin against men when I cease to pray for them. Verse 24 is a good reminder for all of us. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. Samuel prophetically warns that their king will be swept away. 
in verse 25 of chapter 12. Although King Saul starts out as a hero, delivering his compatriots at Jabesh-Gilead, he soon raises the ire of the Philistines when his son Jonathan attacks the Philistine outpost at Geba. The Philistines gather an immense army that puts terror into the hearts of the Israelites. Saul realizes that they are in a desperate situation and need the favor of the Lord. He presumptuously violates God's law and acts as a priest. He takes it upon himself to offer a burnt offering because Samuel, the appointed priest, is delayed in showing up at the appointed time in Gilgal. When Samuel arrives, he reprimands Saul and pronounces that none of his descendants will ever come to the throne. This is the first hint we have of the future reign of King David, a man after God's own heart. Saul is reminded of the importance of reigning in the fear of the Lord. If he had kept the commands of the Lord, his kingdom would have been forever established in Israel. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. Samuel leaves Gilgal, and Saul gathers his small army of 600. The Philistines have a military advantage, not just in their vast number, but because they had exclusive access to the technology of manufacturing iron weapons, and they priced them so highly that the Israelites could not afford them. So it came about, on the day of battle, that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan but they were found with Saul and his son Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 22. We are not at a disadvantage when we battle our enemy with the spiritual weapons God has graciously provided. Without them, however, we would be defeated. Now let's go to our New Testament reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 1 through 29. John chapter 7, Jesus at the Feast of Booths, that is the Feast of Tabernacles. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? and there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? 
yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me, because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament passage from the Gospel of John chapter 7. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we just read. Although they do not yet believe that Jesus is the Messiah, in John chapter 7 verse 5, the half-brothers of Jesus want him to be successful in his career as a religious leader. They advise him to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles so he can build up his reputation as a miracle worker and please his fan base. They saw the event as being a great public relations opportunity. They were not aware that the religious leaders in Jerusalem and Judea were already planning how to arrange for Jesus to be killed. Jesus tells his brothers that he is not living to please his fans. He dramatically contrasts his modus operandi from that of his brothers and the popular culture. Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. John chapter 7 verses 6 and 7. Do we have that kind of clarity? Do we realize that we are under orders? Are we willing to wait on God's timing? Do we recognize and testify the truth about the fallen world's condition? Jesus eventually goes up to the feast, but not with the agenda of his brothers or according to their preferred schedule. He does not live by the wisdom of fallen men, even when they mean well. He does not go to the feast with great fanfare, but in secret. Halfway through the feast, Jesus begins to teach. Once again, he speaks with authority. He is the author of the law and claims to be God's spokesman. He is the Lord of the feasts because he authored them and knows what they commemorate. He also exposes the fact that the religious leaders are being deceptive and trying to kill him. In chapter 7, verse 19, his opponents charge him with being demon-possessed. Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who have rebuked him for making people whole that is healing them on the Sabbath when they themselves permit circumcision when the eighth day falls on the Sabbath. Jesus affirms that in both cases the law is not broken. Jesus exposes the ignorance of the religious leaders who do not concede that he is the heaven-sent Messiah even though they have the clear evidence exhibited before them. Now let's go to the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms, as Peter Healy reads to us, Psalm 108. Are you ready to praise the Lord? With God we shall do valiantly. A Psalm of David. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. 
I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, amongst the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness, with exaltation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, Manassas is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my washbasin. Upon Edom I will cast my shoe. Over Philistia I will shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Thank you, Peter. How good it is to be reminded of the victory that we have in Christ. The heart that is steadfastly looking to Christ is a heart that will sing. There's no limit to the extent of God's faithfulness. It reaches beyond the heavens. The Lord reigns supreme, towering over all enemies. Are you ready to make your request known to God in prayer? In verses 6 through 13, God has given us sacred promises for deliverance. Let us call upon him for his promised help. The psalm ends with a call for God to bring about salvation in verses 6 through 13. O God, give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. Through God we will do valiantly, and it is he who shall tread down our adversaries. Now let's open the treasure box of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Another translation puts it this way. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Gentle words can be life-giving and healing, but words that distort the truth, ignoring the truth of God's provisions and promises, cause discouragement. Now let's pray. Lord, may we never forget that you are our rightful king. May we not bow down before the idols manufactured by our deceitful desires. May we accept no substitutes for your righteous rule, political, ideological, religious, social, or personal, whether intellectual or emotional. We thank you for the example of your Son, whose obedience was not swayed by even those nearest and dearest to him. Give us the conviction to remain true to your word and give us the boldness to proclaim it. Give us ready hearts to praise you and to intercede for the deliverance of those who are held captive by sin and the forces of darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to thank you for being with us as part of our Bible reading community. We are reading about the King of Kings who reigns supreme over all the kings of history and all the kings of this world. How blessed we are to know him and to be able to see and enter into his kingdom through the regenerating and illuminating power of the Holy Spirit who is given freely to us when we look to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. While we look forward to continuing our reading tomorrow, hope that you can be with us then and tell others about our journey. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org 
And if you'd like to know anything more about New Life Community Church and its many ministries, you can go to our website, newlife.org. God bless you, and may you know the joy of fellowship with the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name.